Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we're back to discuss the offseason so far as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 388. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films, so we can talk about this Eagles offseason. If you're listening to this show, you're likely very aware of who the team has brought in via free agency. Hopefully, you've been tuning in to the Eagles Insider Podcast with Dave Spadaro to get caught up there. You know the players they've brought in through the draft. Hopefully, you've been subscribed to the Journey of the Draft Podcast to get caught up over there. But... How do all of these pieces come together now? Greg and I are going to talk through this on both sides of the football. We're going to answer some big questions, talk big picture about this team and how it's different than the one that left the field in Tampa back in January. We're going to do all that right at the top of the show here in Chalk Talk. Before we get there, one more thing I want to make sure I hit on. As always, the best way to hit us up on the show and to throw us your support, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We want to make sure you're subscribed. Get ready for this Eagle season here in 2022. Training camp is a lot closer than you think. Obviously, we've got mini camps here over the next few weeks, but make sure you stay subscribed right here to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. With that said, let's get into this. Excited to talk with Greg now about this Eagles team at this state in the offseason. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, excited to welcome back here for Chalk Talk, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. And Greg, uh, today I really want to look at the the state of this Eagles roster as we sit here in early May. And obviously the offseason is not over. This is a team that is always building. We've seen Howie Roseman and this Eagles front office look to acquire players throughout the course of the calendar year. And so uh, the way we're talking about this team now is not the team that's necessarily going to suit up here in the first week of September. That said... (coughs) I think it is really interesting because you and I have not done an Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast since the team left the field against the Tampa Bay Bucks back in January in the playoffs. So to me, it's just kind of looking and just kind of pushing the pause button and seeing how far this team has come and how it's changed since that point. And it's, it's a really interesting exercise because, you know, we could talk, talk about it from a, a, an everyday, every week standpoint, but almost just saying like, all right, let's, let's just pause and go position by position. This team's a lot better right now uh, than it was when they last took the field. Well, and I would say offensively, and obviously they made one major addition, but offensively, it's going to be relatively the same. Um, it's defensively, I think we're going to see some interesting things, perhaps. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know, Fran. When you look at the the, the roster right now, if you look at the depth chart, um, I, I think with few exceptions, there's a lot of the same people in, in the same positions. Uh, and, but obviously the, the few that are different are, are really big and really important. Yeah. I, I mean, look, the, the quarterback room hasn't changed all that much. I think the big thing there from a, a, a different standpoint is what is the leap that Jalen Hurts is able to make, right? And, and the right. quarterback that's making that jump from year two to year three, it's year one in the system to year two. It's the first time that Jalen Hurts has been in the same system uh, over the course of an entire offseason, going back to high school. And, and so what kind of jump can he make? Obviously that's going to be, one of the biggest stories of the the entire season for this Eagles football team. Without question. And I think by what they've done this off season, 
They've also said that, you know what, our offense is not really going to look exactly the same as it did a year ago. And I think you and I know, obviously, Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni know that to advance and get to where they want to go, which is to be a champion, and you move further in the playoffs and be a champion, that they would need more from their passing game. And I think that they've made moves uh, along with the, the hope that Jalen Hurts will continue to progress, but that they've moved in that direction. And I think that's the right direction. Obviously, we don't know the areas that he's definitely – we can't sit here with a crystal ball and say, yeah, well, he's going to get better in this area, this area, this area, this area. But let me point, let me paint the question to you this way. What are the areas where you see young quarterbacks get better? You know, there are some things that can improve, especially over like a course of an offseason or a, you know, uh, a eight- to 15-month period, we'll say. Is there a, an area of his game where you say, like, yeah, this is an area where you can expect that a guy can make that jump? Let's answer it this way. He's now in the second year in the same system. Yep. So I think what you you hope is that guys see things a little bit faster. That's what you want. You want them to have a better feel for your own offense, which he will because he's now in it and working on it every day. So number one, a better feel for your own offense and the timing uh, and rhythm that's involved in that. And also you then develop a better feel for NFL defense and how defenses play. Um, there are certain things that are standard with all teams. There's other things that are specific to teams. Um, there's the way teams, different teams might play cover three differently. Do you get a better feel for how teams do things and general principles of defense? And in an ideal world, what starts to happen is you see things sooner, ideally before the snap of the ball, and then you're simply validating and confirming after the snap. And that increases the speed with which you can play. So that's what you hope with Jalen Hurts is that he just sees things quicker. And, you know, we, we used to talk last year about the number of throws that we felt he left on the field, which is very common, by the way, for young quarterbacks, as you well know. Um, so what you're hoping is those throws that he left on the field where he didn't turn it loose to open receivers, that that just clicks quicker now. And if it does, then you'll see the improvement. And that's the thing is that as that starts to those as those small gains start to mount up, what you typically see with younger players is, all right, well, now you're feeling a little bit more confident. You're playing a little bit more loose. That's where it was like to say you know, a guy's playing fast is that he's playing confident. And now it, it's almost yeah. like when you're learning the analogy we've used in the past is you're learning how to drive a car. If you reflect now the way you get in your car and you get into you, you jump on uh, 76 or on I-95 right. and you say, all right, well, uh, the way I jump on that now, it's second nature when I first got behind the wheel that was a much different kind of task right and so you kind of take for granted some of those small things that maybe seemed so large previously when you were younger and that's what you're kind of hoping is those little small minute gains for a young quarterback like Jalen Hurts and that's and, and, difference and you make a great point it's not and it's not necessarily big plays it's just routine plays yep it's, you know it's when it's second and 10 and there's a throw there for seven yards and that's the play you just turn it loose you get seven yards and now all of a sudden you're at third and three kind of plays that don't seem that big in a game, but they are. Um, and I think that, you know, more than likely, I would assume that Jalen will take that next step. We know he's a worker. We know that he thinks the game. Uh, so I think we're all expecting that that next step will be taken. 
All right, well, let's go to the running back position. Again, a, a group that hasn't changed all that much. No. Jordan, Jordan Howard remains unsigned, so he's still on the free agent market. The team retained Boston Scott. Obviously, you have a young player like Kenny Gainwell uh, that you're looking to continue to ascend, and Miles Sanders uh, still here as the number one ball carrier. So I think when you look at this run game, and obviously that was a focal point of this Eagles offense, especially in the second half of the year, that remains very much intact. And uh, obviously Jalen Hurts is a big part of that as well. And I think that's going to be the balance that they have to figure out. Nick Sirianni, uh, Shane Steichen, Brian Johnson, they've got to figure out what the balance is between using Jalen Hurts as a meaningful factor in their run game, but yet expanding the pass game. And that's not a mathematical equation, Fran. There's no specific answer to that. It's just that that's a feel and you've got to figure it out because you don't want to lose Hertz's element as and his dimension as a runner. You want to have the, the zone read available, that look available all the time or, or a good percentage of the time because yep. it stresses and challenges defenses. But on the other hand, that can't be 80% of your offense. So I don't know what the answer to that is. Like I said, that's not a specific mathematical equation, but I think that's something they have to figure out. Yeah, and obviously when you have that element, it really just adds to the multiplicity they have on offense, and especially particularly in the run game, not even just offensively, but just the run game. We talked about all the different run concepts uh, and how creative the, the coaching staff has gotten. Obviously, Jeff Stoutland as, as the run game coordinator, a big part of that is marrying up all of their different run concepts from all of those different looks. And when you add in uh, the RPO game, when you add in the zone read element, when you add in all those different layers, now they can make – one play look like seven different things or they can make seven plays all look like the same. Right. And so uh, it works kind of both ways. And they were able to do that at a high rate last year. Right. And now you have to add in the hope that the pass game becomes more expansive. So that's where the balance comes in and that's where the coaches have to figure that out. And that might be something that's a work in progress uh, once the season starts, because you just don't know. All right. Well, you mentioned the pass game being a little bit more expansive the Eagles have made some additions there and none bigger yep. than, than A.J. Brown. Obviously, draft weekend. You and I have not talked about this addition yet. Uh, a huge addition for this Eagles offense, for this Eagles pass game. I guess just, uh, you know, 3,000-foot view, A.J. Brown, uh, how you view him at this stage in terms of the, the wide pantheon of receivers in the NFL. Oh, I think A.J. Brown, you know, without going through a list of receivers, I, I can't sit here and say top four, top five. But, I mean, he is clearly a top ten receiver and maybe better than that. And let's just talk about him as as a player. He came from a team in Tennessee that actually did a lot of, I don't want to say it was all RPOs, but it had that look. You know, sometimes when I watch tape, and I know you probably feel the same way, you don't know if it's a true RPO or if it's just quick game, you know, bang, play action. But the point is, he ran a ton of in-breaking routes. He ran slant routes. He ran glance routes. He's phenomenal run after catch. He's physical. He's competitive. He can make tough catches. He's probably going to run a lot of those same kind of routes in the context of the Eagles passing game. Um, So I think for what the Eagles want, besides the fact that he's just a really good receiver overall, I think for what the Eagles want to do with their pass game and how it plays off their run game looks is A.J. Brown is absolutely perfect. Um, and I think the run after catch is critical. He's one of the best run after catch receivers in the NFL. I mean, how many times did we hear Nick Sirianni last year talk through talk about like the dog mentality? And it was almost right. like a weekly basis. That was a, well, a, he's got that. He's an alpha. That, that is AJ Brown to a T. Yep. Yeah. No, he, he he has that, and he's got the body. See, I think Devonta Smith has the same attitude. It's just he's 160 pounds. Yep. 
you know, AJ Brown is 225 or somewhere in that range. I don't know what he absolutely weighs as we speak today, but he is super competitive. He's phenomenal run after catch. He makes contested catches. He fights for the ball. I mean, he's he's just a really, really good receiver. Um, I would assume uh, that he'd be, in normal circumstances, nothing's 100%, that he'd be the boundary X and that Devonta Smith would now move to the movement Z, which I think is really his best position to maximize his traits. Um, and then I guess you probably have Quez Watkins. Uh, would he, he would be the number three, I think, right now, would he not? Well, and that's the thing is you, you've got the verticality with Quez Watkins. You've got certainly what, what Jalen Rager brings to the table in terms of the way all the different ways they can use him. And we saw a little bit of that uh, throughout the fall. This team signed Zach Pascal. Uh, well, I like a lot, by the way. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. <clears throat> Pascal is like that that perfect, you know, whatever that, that backup receiver, that three, four, five receiver where he's a dirty work player. He's very reliable. He's a really good player on third down down in the red zone, just a, just a very reliable, dirty work player. I agree. And I think this gives the coaching staff an awful lot of options. And we don't know how all this will play out until the season starts. And obviously they're not going to show a lot of this in the, in preseason games. Now you're at practice every single day. So you'll see the kinds of things they're working on, but I think this gives them a lot of options to, um, you know, and how they want to line up and, and we'll get to their draft choices, but they still can line up in 12 personnel as well. I thought that Grant Calcitero was a really intriguing pick in the sixth round. Um, and we'll get to that unless you want me, unless you want to get to that now. No, you can get it. You can get it. So what do you think of Calcitero? Um, well, first of all, I remember him really well two years ago when yeah. he was a sophomore at Oklahoma and people spoke about him as he's the next great tight end because he's a receiving tight end. He's extremely athletic. He's he's a three level dimension. He's a speed player for a tight end. He can run the vertical seams. He can run intermediate routes. He can run other vertical routes. Um, you know, that's really what he is. And, uh, you know, I think that if you line up with two tight ends with Goddard and Calcetera, assuming that's the way it plays out, we don't know he's a sixth round pick. So you never know with six round picks, but he gives you something that no other tight end on the roster right now gives you other than of course, Goddard, the, the other tight ends don't give you what Calcetera's traits are. So assuming he makes the team, you know, you can do a lot of interesting things out of 12 personnel. I do think that this tight end room has gotten really interesting over the last few weeks because you, know, you added Calcaterra, JJ Ortega Whiteside makes the move from wide receiver to right. tight end. Um, you know, so you've got some a, a dimension there. Tyree Jackson uh, showed outstanding. I mean, he was outstanding last summer, and obviously he's coming off the injury. Uh, but the team signed Noah Togiai at the end of last summer, and he was a player that they were really high on when he was a rookie coming out of uh, Oregon State a couple of years ago. Jack Stoll, uh, he's going into year two now. So there, there are a lot of young players with that group behind God. Now it's just a matter of like pecking order and who fits in where. Richard, they're not all going to make the team. They're not all going to make. They're not all going to make the team. So what that competition looks like will be fun to watch and fun to follow. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be three tight ends that they keep, and maybe one on the practice squad, but three tight ends that'll probably dress because they do play 13 personnel. So you know it's Goddard, and after that, I think you're uncertain. Yeah, uh, the, just going back to receiver really quickly, the team did retain uh, Greg Ward. He was brought back on a one-year contract. Uh, Devin Allen uh, as a free agent that they signed. Uh, absolute speedster. You're coming out of Oregon a few years back. Oh, he was he was the track guy. He was a track guy, right? Yeah. Uh, Olympic trials and all of those things. So I think when you look at Devin Allen, what he does this summer, that'll be a storyline that people will follow. But I think when you look at uh, just this receiver room, and honestly, Greg, like I was thinking about this earlier today. 
when you look at, at that trio of AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard, you know, and you can put them in whatever order you like to. I don't know that there's a better young trio out there in the league. That's got to be up there as a one, two, three. That's a good good group. And so you're really setting uh, Jalen Hurts up for success from that standpoint. And so, uh, and even, you know, when they they make the trade last Thursday night, uh, on Friday morning, the the, the morning of day two of the draft, I ended up just coming in and watching AJ Brown film. I watched every single target over the last two years and just kind of thinking, like, all right, like, how do they, uh, he and Devontae, complement each other? They have so many similar, it's like, it's exactly like you said, there are so many similarities between those two players, but they do it in such a different package because, you know, AJ Brown, obviously being a, you know, a 220 pound receiver that can line up inside, outside Devontae, much different than that in terms of the, the slender build that he brings. But uh, I'm fascinated just to see how they deploy all of these guys. Cause they all have that inside outside versatility, that, that ability to impact all three levels of the field. Well, how many receivers do you think they'll keep? It's a good question. I mean, I think when you because, look, uh, you, you know, know, you know that the top four are Smith, Brown, Watkins. I'm not giving an order. I'm just giving the yeah, four. Yeah. Smith, Brown, Watkins, Pascal. They're, they're going to be the four. After that, how many receivers do they keep? And I think there's going to be competition for those positions after that. Yeah, it's going to be really, really fun to be able to watch that play out. And obviously, you have Jalen Rager, you have, you have uh, Greg Ward, you have Devin Allen, uh, John Hightower still on the roster. You go down the list, there are a bunch of young players uh, here on that roster that are going to be competing for those spots. And so uh, that will be one of the big storylines once we get into training camp. Let's get into the offensive line and obviously uh, an area that uh, this team will always prioritize. They will always put emphasis on filling in that position. And when you're looking at the offensive line, the, the big addition, was the rookie second-round pick, Cam Jurgens out of Nebraska, uh, a center by trade, has that versatility to be a swing backup on the interior as well as a guard. So uh, we'll see exactly where he lines up over the course of the summer. But Cam Jurgens is in. The team loses Brandon Brooks uh, to retirement. Uh, Nate Herbig was released after the draft. Uh, Jason Kelsey retained. So uh, overall, you're looking at pretty much all of the, all the, the big names back in play here for this Eagles offensive line. It's going to be one of the best in the league. It should be one of the best in the league once again, Greg. It's the, I mean, essentially the same group will be the yeah. same starting five. So they're good to go. Uh, Jurgens was not drafted to play this year. I personally don't think he's really ready to play this year, but that's my opinion based on tape. Um, but I don't, I think that they, they're all set. They have one of the best O lines in the league. And, and I think it'll, some guys will just keep getting better. I would expect uh, my, my to just continue to get better. You know, yeah. he started to play really, really well. And I think he'll just continue to get better. Um, I would expect Dickerson, who's now another year removed from that bad knee injury. I would expect him to be better. And he was really good in the run game a year ago. I think he'll be better in pass protection this year. Uh, we know about Lane Johnson, Sayamalu. He's turned out to be a really solid NFL guard. Yep. So this is a really, really good O-line. Uh, and a bunch of young guys behind them competing. I mean, yeah, Nate Herbig is out, but you know, Jack Anderson, who the team acquired uh, late in the, or in the midseason last year, Sue Opeta, they've groomed, Kaori Awashika, uh, they have groomed, right? So you have a, a bunch of names here uh, that they have continued to develop, continue to groom over the course of the last uh, the last couple of seasons, and again, will create a really interesting dynamic once you get to the summer from a, a camp battle standpoint. Um, let's get over to the defensive side, as you mentioned. More turnover here than what we've seen uh, on the opposite side, and we'll start uh, up front. And I'm gonna we'll talk D line, but I want to include the Sam linebackers in there as well, just because of the, the impact those guys can have. We'll kind of do it from uh, kind of position by position. 
At Sam linebacker, Jannard Avery, who was last year's starter, he's out. He signed a free agent deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The team signed Hassan Reddick uh, to a big free agent contract at the open of free agency, and they select Kyron Johnson uh, on day three of the draft. And so real quickly, let's just talk about what Reddick uh, brings to this table, brings to the table here. It's interesting because Avery was kind of used as that jack of all trades type player, and Reddick certainly offers that versatility. But Reddick is just such a better, more proven pass rusher. And so, you know, he's going to offer that kind of juice that uh, the Eagles did not have off the edge last year. Yeah, I mean, Reddick's a terrific pass rusher, and I think that that's how he'll be featured. Yeah. Now, if they're, when they're in their base defense, which will be a 5-2, you know, he'll, he'll be a Sam linebacker. He'll be on the ball. And in those defenses, depending on what the offense is showing you, he may not rush the quarterback in those situations. But for the most part, when they go into their nickel or dime, Hassan Reddick will be a pass rusher, and he's a very good pass rusher. Now, last year they tried Patrick Johnson, who's still on the roster, uh, as he played meaningful snaps for a stretch of games and then sort of disappeared. Um, they drafted Kyron Johnson from Kansas, who it would seem to me would be this the guy who would also play that position. Um, did you see this? Did you see the same? That's how, that's how I saw Kyron Johnson. It's funny, like you know, he definitely has that skill set of a Hassan Reddick in terms of just that speed off the ball. I actually wrote down Patrick Johnson when I studied him back in December, Greg, and I was the guy that the Eagles drafted uh, last year and will be in that discussion too, you know, behind Hassan Reddick. So, yeah, so I mean, uh, I think he fits that role. I, I kind of enjoyed watching Kyron Johnson's tape. I mean, he's, he's not going to be a true edge rusher on every play. He's 230 pounds, but, but he was kind of fun to watch because he plays with such energy. He made a ton of plays in pursuit. He never gave up on plays. He was kind of fun to watch. He was. He's a, a really interesting player just because of the athletic background, the proven versatility. He's played every linebacker spot over the course of his career, a proven four-core special teams player. And so you feel like, okay, he can come in and play that role right away as, yes. as a backup and be able to in, uh, impact uh, kickoff, uh, kick return, punt, punt return, and be able to play in that in those packages. But then also – defensively give you a little bit of juice off the edge if necessary uh you know behind Reddick and behind some of these other guys now uh that's what the Eagles did off the edge obviously also you obviously get the return of Brandon Graham who the Eagles only had for uh yeah you know, one and a half games last and I'm real so. curious to see you know how he does because that's a tough injury yep. but um uh, and I and he's a really good guy so I hope he can come back and play yep. but I mean again you look at this D-line you know it's Graham it's Cox it's Hargrave it's Barnett it's Josh right, exactly. Sweat yep. I mean I think Look, far from it for me to to speak about what Jonathan Gannon should or shouldn't do. He's a lot smarter than I am, but I would just love to see Josh Sweat be a wide nine player. I think he could get 15 sacks. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're going to see all these guys ro rotated through. There's just so many players that they were able to bring in. Uh, and, you know, they retained Derek Barnett, like you mentioned. It's just it's a really good group off the edge. And then you look to the interior. They, they retained Fletcher Cox. He, he's brought back on a one-year deal. Uh, you lose Hassan Ridgeway, but you gain Jordan Davis uh, in the first round. And Jordan Davis, we talked about this on the Journey of the Draft podcast. He was the uh, the mock draft pick uh, in the, uh, the mock draft extravaganza on that show, Greg. Um, so we talked a little bit about Jordan Davis there. But just talking about him – in the, the structure of this Eagles defense, you know, behind Fletcher Cox, behind J, uh, Javon Hargrave, uh, mixing in there, it's going to be fascinating just to see his usage here and his deployment in year one. Yeah, most, the most fascinating player in the draft to me, given what he was asked to do in college uh, versus what I believe the Eagles think he will can do as he plays in his career. Uh, we know you do not draft a player with the 13th pick in the first round and you trade up to get him to play 20 snaps a game. That's my, that might be what he plays this year. Uh, but that's clearly not why he was drafted. 
Um, so uh, it's going to be a fascinating situation. The guy has great uh, for his size, has great athleticism. Um, didn't really rush the passer a whole lot in college. It wasn't even in the game on third downs. Uh, but we know that he's a phenomenal athlete with great size, can move exceptionally well. Um, so, like I said, it'll be interesting to watch his development because you don't do what they did to have him play 20 snaps a game for the next, you know, three or four years. So talking about we, – we've talked a little bit about what Jordan Davis did in Georgia. But when you look around the league and you look at the impact of, of a guy like Avita a, a Vea in Tampa Bay, you, we can go down the list. So you, you know the, the, the type of player that we were right. talking about, Haloti Nada in his prime. What do you make of like the idea? Because this isn't it's coming into, you know, more into like the uh, the discussion right now because of what defenses did a year ago with all the different two high schemes and you know trying to take away the deep ball and, and things of that nature. The idea of, OK, well, a, a player like Jordan Davis adding value to a team like that, because now you can you know safely and more efficiently defend the run with a lighter box because you've got a player of Jordan Davis's caliber. Uh, what do you think of that? That whole discussion? Obviously, again, that's nothing new. That's something we've seen in the league for years and years and years. As we know, this is uh, this is all cyclic. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, not because of Jordan Davis, because of, you know, just watching NFL tape. I, I watch most teams during the NFL season. I don't think it quite works that way. I mean, there's a lot of teams offensively in their run game that just the way run games are mapped out where they double team interior players. That's just built into run games. Um, I guess we'll wait, have to wait and see whether a team thinks that we have to do something special for Jordan Davis. Um I don't know if that's true or not. You know, he hasn't played in the NFL yet. We don't know that. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily true. So let's say Jordan Davis comes into camp, has an unbelievable – let's just map this out, you know, and, and do some some hypotheticals. Sure. Let's say Davis comes into camp and is absolutely dominant, and the Eagles decide that in their base 5-2, he's going to play instead of Fletcher Cox. You know, because Cox is older, they want to keep him fresh, they want to make him a pass rusher. Let's just say that for the moment. Um, so if he plays in their 5-2, okay, is he going to line up as your one technique or is he going to be like a three technique or a four-eye? I mean, my my, under, my guess would be that he would play as the one. The, I guess the big question is, instead of it being like, uh, instead of phrasing it, he plays instead of Cox, does he now say, okay, well, because last year Hargrave was the one, and Cox was was more of the three, right? Now, right. Now you can say, okay, Davis is the one. You can have Josh Hargrave Sweat was kind of like the four I five technique. Yeah. So now you yeah. can put you could put Fletcher as the four I, or you could put Hargrave as the four I, and then you have uh, you can keep Josh Sweat uh, out in the perimeter. You could. So they have a lot of options. Yeah. They, but but the point I'm trying to make is if Davis is playing in that role in your base. Um, I guess we'll find out how teams feel about him, you know, based on their tape study. Right. But, you know, that's how I would think Jordan Davis would be the biggest factor this year. Yep. My guess is he's not going to start the season playing in their nickel or their dime. Right. And that's the thing is then when you because you take into account guys like Milton Williams. Right. Well, I thought had a phenomenal and totally overlooked rookie season just in general. Not overlooked, I'm sure, by people like you and I in the organization. But given that he was a third-round pick from Louisiana, I thought he had a phenomenal rookie season. 
I would agree. Uh, Milton Williams is going to be a big part of this defensive front. And then you look at some of the other young guys, you know, uh, guys that were day three picks or undrafted last year. The Teron Jacksons played plenty last year. Uh, Marlon Tui Pelotu played, uh, played plenty. Marvin Wilson uh, chipping in as well. So uh, I would keep an eye on, on a lot of those, those young guys up front along the defensive line. Let's now transition to linebacker, Greg. Two big additions. You know, no, no more Alex Singleton. Uh, he left for Denver. So the team acquires uh, Kaiser White in free agency from the L.A. Chargers. I want to get your thoughts on Kaiser White. And then uh, they draft N'Kobe Dean. Uh, Kaiser White, N'Kobe Dean in. Thoughts on uh, th- uh, thoughts on what Kaiser White can bring to this defense? Uh, Kaiser White's a good player. He was a safety at West Virginia, tra- made the transition to linebacker in the NFL. Um, really solid player. He played all downs for the Chargers a year ago. So he stayed on the field in nickel, which is really important for the Eagles because they did not really have a true nickel linebacker a year ago. Um, so I think White's a really, really good addition uh, and he'll play probably almost every snap. I mean, Singleton almost played every snap. Uh not as much, I guess, last year as he did the year before, but I think White will essentially be on the field pretty much every snap. And the question becomes, who's going to be the nickel linebacker with him? Sure. And I guess that's where uh, you know, we'll see if N'Kobe Dean can kind of chip in there. Obviously, T.J. Edwards returns. Uh, Davion Taylor uh, coming off the injury. He's now going into year three. Sean Bradley going into year three. Jacoby Stevens going into year two. So a bunch of young guys. Uh, and again, that's kind of an interesting competition because I don't know that all of those guys are going to make this team, right? And so, uh, that, not, that, no, no, right. so that, that, that's going to be a very important conversation to have once we get into August and, and early September. Um, what did you think of Nicobe Dean? And obviously the, a big acquisition that's gotten a lot of fanfare here So over the last week and change. Yeah, I really liked his tape. I, you know, I think that he his tape was really strong. I thought that because Kirby Smart is is one of uh, – there's fewer college coaches who do this than, than there are more, but – Obviously, Georgia ran almost a pro-style defense, so there was a lot of blitzing involved, and he was asked to blitz a lot, and he was very, very good at it. And I'm very curious to see if they take advantage of that particular trait. I mean, certainly if you do that, uh, then he could play in your nickel because he's a very good blitzer. And as you and I both know, blitzing doesn't always mean you have to rush five. You could do a, a zone exchange concept where you rush four and play zone behind it. And Dean could be one of the four. Uh, but he was a really good blitzer. Um, I thought he was a very good stacked backer as well. Um, he's very short area explosive. He was a good tackler. He got people to the ground. Um, I, I thought his tape was really good. Um, the only there's, there were two issues with Dean probably for teams. Number one, he's close to the to the bottom of the spectrum for height for a stacked linebacker. And I'm sure some teams, no matter what his tape looked like, probably felt I'm not sure we want to draft a Kobe Dean as a five eleven and a quarter stacked backer. And the other issue is he's had a lot of injuries. So the concern is smaller guy. Is he going to spend a lot of time in the training room? Yeah, I mean, I, that's uh, that's really the only way you can kind of explain him falling to the third round, right? Uh, and that's tape was it, tape was better than a third round pick. I, I think you would agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, obviously a guy that is again a lot of fanfare uh, for the Eagles since since he was drafted on night two of the NFL draft. Let's go down to the secondary, uh, and obviously this is going to be a big topic of conversation uh, over the next uh, few weeks and couple months going into the going into camp. Steven Nelson, uh, last year's starting corner opposite Darius Slay, uh, he is out. He signed a contract with the Houston Texans. The team retained Andre Sachere, and that's it at corner. Uh, so no big additions there yet. Uh, Zach McPherson, 
Tay Gowan, Mac McCain, Josiah Scott, Kerry Vincent Jr., a bunch of young corners, year two, year three types uh, that now have that ability to fight for that starting job ob- opposite Slay. That's how we sit here today. Remember, the team acquired Steven Nelson just before training camp last year. Uh, they traded for Ronald Darby just before the season started back in 2017, right? So you've seen their ability to, to kind of make those acquisitions at that position late in the, the preseason process. But we'll see. Uh, what do you think here in terms of this this cornerback room? Well, I got to tell you, um, I'm most fascinated, Fran, by two of their undrafted free agent signings. Uh, because I think Josh Jove and Mario Goodrich were good enough to be drafted. Yeah. Based on, on my tape study. Now, I know Josh Job has other issues that that are off the field issues. So I can't go there because I don't know what they are. But he was uh, without question a draftable player, as I thought was Mario Goodrich. So I'm curious to see, because I think that other position is pretty open. Wouldn't you agree? Opposite Darius Slay. Yeah, I mean, it was last summer when Nelson got obviously when Nelson first got signed. You know, there was he was a little bit slow just to kind of get into the lineup. Zach McPherson got a ton of reps and he flashed throughout the course of camp. Um, you know, he didn't play too much during the fall, but McPherson will be interesting. And he was last year's fourth round pick, and so we'll see if he right. gets an opportunity. Well, I think he'll probably get the first opportunity. Yeah, because he did play meaningful snaps a year ago. I thought he struggled a bit, which you know, hey, rookies do struggle. Yeah, sure. Um, so we'll see, you know, with a year's experience. I mean, he was a big-time recruit, went to Penn State as a big-time recruit before he transferred to Texas Tech. Um, and obviously a fourth-round pick, which, you know, hey, that's not a throwaway pick. Um, so he'll probably get the first opportunity. Um, I don't know much about Tay Gowan, so I can't speak to him other than the fact that he's long. But as I said, I think Job and Goodrich were both draftable players. I mean, I think if you spoke – if we were – talking about Josh Job a year or so ago, we would have easily said he could have been a day two pick. Yeah. I mean, that's how he was talked about for sure. I mean, yeah. I, saw, I saw him in the back end of like, you know, the, the, the two early uh, mock drafts. Right. So, um, you know, that's certainly how he was perceived coming into the year. Uh, yeah, he's but, not, his tape was not bad. I mean, it wasn't first round tape, but his tape was better than a, a free agent grade. And like I said, I think there's other issues. And I thought Mario Goodrich's tape was better than a free agent grade as yeah. well. Yeah, I thought Goodrich, uh, I mean, he went to the senior bowl. I thought he was a solid player uh, at Clemson, yep. really well, well-rounded. I mean, player. he's 175 pounds, and that yep. might turn people off. You know, there's always reasons um, yeah. when you talk to people, and, they're and hey, these people doing this are pretty smart, so there's always valid reasons. Um, but I'm just saying, based on my tape study, and I did both those guys in detail, as I'm sure you did, they were worthy of being drafted to me. Yeah, I mean, not, it's like we, we say this all the time. There's a reason the undrafted guys are undrafted. There's a reason why the day three guys didn't go on day two. There's a reason why the day two of guys course. didn't go on yeah. day one. Uh, they can't all be first-round picks. And so it's a matter of who are the guys that are able to overcome their weaknesses or do they go to places that are able to accept, accentuate their strengths uh, and where can they improve? And so that's going to be big for yep. a lot of these guys. Um, safety. Big loss here. Rodney McLeod, he was the, the starter that left. Uh, he goes to the Indianapolis Colts. The team retained Anthony Harris. So it seems that uh, young safety Marcus Epps kind of in line for that starting job opposite Harris here, Greg. Uh, I, like I, I know that you, you've liked uh, Anthony Harris or, or uh, Marcus Epps over the last couple of years. I do like Marcus Epps. I think he can play on the back end. I think he can play in the box. Um, I think he's aggressive. I think he's physical. I think he's got some coverage ability. Uh, he can blitz. Um, and again, I'm not sitting here by, by describing what I just did. I'm not suggesting he's a top five safety in the NFL, but I think Marcus Epps, who's a young player still, 
I, I think he's one of those guys that if, if he does play really well during camp and wins the job and gets that opportunity to play more than, you know, 15, 18 snaps a game, I, I think Marcus Sepps could turn out to be a very solid player. I really do. And honestly, they've got another young safety there in Kayvon Wallace going into year three, uh, year two in this system. Is he a guy that can make that next step? And Because he showed some flashes last summer. Uh, you know, Can he make that next step and maybe try and compete for one of those spots? And even if it's not a starting spot, uh, a key a key role in sub-package, because we saw that last year with Marcus Epps when they went into some of those three safety packages that uh, he was able to come in. So we'll see yeah. if Wallace can kind of chip in or if the team decides that they want to try and make another addition there uh, in that room. So that'll be something to follow here as well yeah i don't know if he's as multi-dimensional as epps overall in his traits right uh, but uh but no he certainly played meaningful snaps so it's not as if he's he's not been on the field it's just one of those things greg when i look at, at and going through the exercise before we did the podcast and just saying like all right like you know the who's in who's out kind of deal it's like man like this is a team that's that's better than when they took the field last in tampa bay i, I think when you look at it on the whole this is a team that got better on both sides of the football I would agree. And and as it always does, Fran, and you know this, it's going to come down to the quarterback. Yeah. If Jalen Hurts can improve, and there's no reason to believe that he won't, if he can improve in a meaningful way and their pass game can become more expansive, this could be a really difficult offense to defend. I love it. Well, uh, Greg, we'll continue to talk about this team, uh, obviously, over the next few months. I appreciate you joining us here once again on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, Fran. Eagles fans, Merrill Reese here to tell you about the Eagles Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. This annual Ride, Run, Walk event supports autism research and programming as we work hard every day to advance the conversation from awareness to action. This year's event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at Lincoln Financial Field. With your support, we can help transform the lives of individuals affected by autism. Register today at eaglesautismchallenge.org. All right, great stuff there from Greg. Thanks to him, and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novocare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.